One last thing I forgot to tell you is there, there are little brochures about the four C's that are on the table in the back there and by the information desk as well if anybody wants to just pick one up and take it home and you can check it out a little bit. Well, for the past couple of weeks, Pastor Mitch has been preaching on the big story of the Bible, reminding us of the great overarching story of salvation that ties the whole Bible together. I want to add another dimension to that great story of the Bible today. It's another theme that runs through the whole Bible, and it's a theme that brings that big story of the Bible right down into the personal stories of people just like you and just like me. And the theme can be summed up in the simple phrase, he gives power to the faint. God gives power to the faint. A minute ago, you heard a passage from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians that Matthew read for us, which describes how God gave the apostle Paul strength when he was weary, he says, even to the point of death. Now I'd like to add one more passage from the Old Testament as a text for this morning's message and have you read it actually together with me. It's a passage some of you might know quite well that we actually sang the words to in one of our praise songs this morning. It's from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. You have it up on the screen. Would you just read that together with me? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. My friends, that passage is one of the great promises of the whole Bible, that God gives power to the faint. He gives strength to the weary, it says. And it's beautifully articulated here from the prophet Isaiah for God's people Israel, but it's also God's promise to all of us, even all these years later. In fact, the cross of Jesus that is at the heart of the Christian faith is actually the great symbol of how God gives the weary rest and how he gives power to the faint. He can even raise the dead, right? And this is the promise that the Apostle Paul was banking on in that passage that we read from 2 Corinthians 1. Paul was writing to the Corinthians about some severe hardships that he and his companions faced in the Roman province of Asia Minor, that is modern-day Turkey. He spoke of how completely worn out and weary they were. He writes, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, our hearts felt the sentence of death, Paul wrote. But this happened, he writes, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead, who gives strength to the weary. He has delivered us, Paul wrote, from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. You see, that was the Apostle Paul hanging on to his faith in a God who gives strength to the weary, who gives power to the faint. 
And his testimony to the Corinthians was that God did indeed come through for him and for his companions. He delivered them from peril. And that is the promise of God that is the hope of God's people in every generation. Now, Isaiah articulates that promise in the most beautiful way here at the end of chapter 40. But I want you to know that even for Isaiah, those lovely words that he writes here were not lovely words. They were not written for the Hallmark Card Company of ancient Israel. He didn't write them while he was sitting in an ivory tower thinking exalted thoughts about how good God is. No, God gave these words to Isaiah to speak to God's people, Judah, during a really difficult period in Judah's history. It was, in fact, a period in their history in which God knew things were going to go from bad to worse and even worse than that. You see, at this point in Israel's history, the nation of Assyria was the dominant superpower of the day. And their capital city was in Nineveh, which is modern-day Mosul in Iraq. And at this point in Israel's history, the Assyrians had swept in and taken over the northern kingdom. Israel was divided into a northern kingdom with their capital in Samaria and a southern kingdom of Judah with their capital in Jerusalem. And the Assyrians had gone from Babylon all the way to Palestine and they were sweeping in with their armies into Palestine and they conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. They wiped it out and they carted off the northern kingdom Israelis and took them for the first captivity into exile. <coughs> the only reason the southern kingdom of Judah where Isaiah was a prophet the only reason that they were spared was because this. Assyrians heard, they got a message that the Babylonians back in the east were having a little uprising against the Assyrians. And so the army left Israel and they had to run back to take care of the Babylonian uprising. So the prophet Isaiah and the country of Judah were spared, but they knew their time was limited. And this nation was going to come after them as well. Well, sure enough, it was not the Assyrians who came to them, but the Babylonian uprising overthrew Assyria. But within a hundred years, it was the Babylonians that came sweeping down through, Babylon, or through Palestine and conquered the nation of Judah. Isaiah was a prophet to this southern kingdom of Judah, and he was speaking these words to them in this kind of a context. It was not a happy time in the southern kingdom. It was not a happy time initially when Israel got wiped out and they saw the power of the Assyrians. It was not a happy time when the Babylonians came down and wiped them out. But I want you to know, Isaiah wasn't just sitting around thinking lovely thoughts about God when he spoke to them as the weary who needed God's strength. He was actually living through this miserable period in his nation's history, and God was using him to speak these words to his people. Now, the amazing thing is here, God was actually preparing his people for what was to come. Isaiah is speaking to them after the Assyrians had wiped out the northern kingdom, but before the Babylonians ever came a hundred years later. But God was giving his people preparation for what was to come, speaking to them promises in advance because he was knowing that they were going to need them. And that's the rather odd thing about this portion of Isaiah's prophecies from chapter 40 all the way to chapter 66. Their projection into the future, offering comfort for a misery God's people haven't even gotten to yet. God is speaking through Isaiah around 700 B.C. 
and the Babylonian exile would come a hundred years later. And in this chapter, chapter 40, God is actually having Isaiah prophesy about the end of the exile that hasn't even started yet. When God would call his people to come back home from the exile to Israel again. God's telling his people that their exile in Babylon is coming to an end. The chapter begins with these words, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then God goes on to tell them that he is going to prepare a way for them to come back now that their exile is over. He is going to make every pathway straight. He's going to raise up the valley. He's going to lower the mountains. He's going to make the rough places smooth. He's going to create a highway for them to come back. And then here at the end of the chapter, he says he knows that on the way back, they are going to grow tired and weary, that even their young men are going to stumble and fall. But he says those who trust in him and wait upon him, they on the way back will renew their strength so they will soar home on the wings as eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. You see, that's how God comforts his people, and he does so a hundred years before they would even face the situation that they would be coming home from. Now, what I also love about this chapter is that in between the words of comfort at the beginning and those words of comfort at the end, there are all these other verses in which God proclaims who he is for his people and what he is like. He gives a proclamation through Isaiah of his glory and his sovereignty. He tells them, I am the one who created all things and sustains all things in the universe. He tells them, I am the one who is sovereign over all the affairs of nations. He says, I am the one to whom no man-made idol can measure up. But then also God says in verse 11, I am also the God who tends his flock like a shepherd. I gather my lambs in my arms. I carry them close to my heart. I gently lead those who have young. You see, Isaiah chapter 40 is the most amazing chapter. In fact, I would encourage all of you to camp out in this, this chapter this week for a while. Read it, read it every day if you want. Just soak it in. Let the words of God through Isaiah enfold and comfort you. Let those words help you discover more of who God is and what he's like. Ask God to help you learn this week how to apply the promises that he gave to his people all those years ago to the things you're going to be going through this week. See if they don't help you feel more connected to God and maybe even more connected to God's people over generations, even until today. You see, these words might have originally been meant for God's people who lived a century or two after Isaiah, but they are just as good for people who live 25 centuries later, like you and me. In these last verses of the chapter that I'm encouraging us to hang on to, I want us to hang on to them because they encapsulate, again, the whole big story of the Bible that God wants to bring to his people in every generation. In verse 27, God says to his people, Why do you say, O Jacob, my people, why do you complain, O Israel, my people, that my way is hidden from the Lord and my cause is disregarded by my God? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like your way has been disregarded by God? He doesn't know. He might be busy with somebody else in some other corner of the universe, but he has no idea what's going on with you. 
Do you ever wonder why God might seem to allow bad things to happen in good people's lives? Do you ever wonder where in the world God is? I mean, maybe it's not just your own life and your own problems you're thinking about. Maybe like the people of Judah in Isaiah's day, it's your whole country you're worried about at the moment. Maybe you're wondering why God would let the United States of America descend into the ugly mess we seem to be in at the moment. With our polarized politics, unbending, unforgiving people on both sides of every issue that you can imagine, slanderous accusations get thrown back and forth from the various sides that are polarized, name-calling, gun-shooting, race-baiting, gender-bending, the United States of America today. And it's not just our country. There are atrocities happening all over the world as people groups rise up against each other, aren't there? At the moment, it's the Ukraine. And there are refugees fleeing. But before that, it was Afghanistan with refugees fleeing. And before that, it was Syria. And before that, Somalia. And before that, Uganda. And there's an ever-flowing stream coming up through Central America to our southern borders of people who escaping horrible situations. It's not only our youths who are growing tired and weary, not only young men stumbling and falling, the whole real world is weary and worn, isn't it? And where is God in all of that? Well, my friends, the big story of the whole Bible is that God is right smack in the middle of all of that. He is not in heaven someplace far off. He is actually constantly coming to his people generation after generation after generation, right into the midst of what they're in the midst of. God comes to us, and he allows somehow the brokenness of the world to break him. And again, the cross is the best symbol of that. God takes the brokenness of the world onto himself, and he raises the dead. He somehow gives power to the faint. He raises up the lowly so that they mount on wings as eagles and run and not grow weary. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church this was just what happened to him. And he lived a thousand years after Isaiah. He tells them that in the midst of a really horrible period of stress and opposition, God came to him and to his companions right in the midst of where they were and somehow strengthened them and enabled them to endure. And you know what? Paul goes even beyond that. He says, we didn't just endure. God brought a resolution to the situation that we were in that has enabled us now to bring comfort to other people with the same kind of comfort that God gave to us in the situation we were in. Have you ever experienced that where the really bad thing you went through actually transformed you and enabled you to be more in ministry to other people? That these things God takes us through, he doesn't just raise up the faith, he causes the faith to actually have a testimony. And it's a testimony that enables them to actually be engaged in comforting other people with the comfort that they receive from God. I don't know about you, but it's the miserable times of my own life that have actually taught me more humility more compassion. I become more forgiving of others because of all that God's brought me through. I care about the situations people are in more because God has comforted me in the situations I've been in. It's been those terrible moments of my life that have caused me to grow up more than any other times in my life. Grow up in the faith. Grow up in trust. Deepen. 
my faith in God and in his strength and in his power. Like Paul says, he gave up on himself and had to trust in a God who could raise the dead. That's what these times do for us. Are you able to recognize that that is actually the big story of the whole Bible? From Abraham all the way to the end, God is constantly coming into the lives of people in every generation and somehow or other ministering to them right in the gunk that they're in. Maybe you have your own experience of how God has met you in the midst of trials and difficulties in your life. How he has given strength to you in your weakness. Lifted you up. Brought resolution to situations that you thought had no end in sight. Maybe even as I've been talking, God's brought you back in your mind to some specific time when you were to your which end, when he came and rescued you, and that that's been transformative actually in your life and in your faith. Maybe you could stand up here today and give a testimony to this exact same major theme of the whole Bible, of how God has actually transformed your life. You see, when the big story of the Bible intersects with the big story of our personal lives, that's when we know that we too are part of God's people. Just like the people of Judah in Isaiah's day or Paul and his companions in his day or all the way through history, God comes into the lives of his people and gives them a testimony that enables them to know he is the one who has strengthened me when I was weak, forgiven me when I was sinful. One pastor I know that I like a lot says, God is the perfect recycler the perfect recycler. He takes in his economy of grace all the gunk that we bring him and somehow or other transforms it and redeems it. Not just your old bottles, but your life. He takes the worst mistakes you've made and can actually transform them into ministry for later. He takes the worst sins you've committed or the worst sins people have committed against you and can somehow use them Paul says elsewhere, you know what? He takes all things and works them together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's the big story of the Bible. If you've experienced it as well, then you know that you are indeed one of God's people. You are among those who have experienced that he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak so that we might run and not grow weary that we might walk and not be faint. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Lord, speak these promises again into our lives. Remind us of those times when you have indeed come to us in some of the worst times that we've experienced. But it's there that we have met you. You've not avoided those times. You've entered in. You've somehow taken the brokenness on yourself and brought us resurrection life. And may we have that same faith for the future, that what we face even in this week to come or months to come, the things that we're worried about right now that we came to church worried about this morning, may we somehow entrust them to you and ask for you to transform them, to take those very places where we're feeling overwhelmed or we're feeling understaffed or we're feeling as though we just don't know what we're supposed to do, will you somehow make those the very places where we meet you and we discover more of who you are 
and more of what you're like and more of the amazing ways in which you continue to comfort your people and then send them forth to comfort others with the same comfort that they have received. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.